Book of Esther is such an awesome book. It's a book where God used an orphan girl. I mean, just the fact that she was a foreigner, a stranger, poor, orphan girl. I mean, you would think that the odds are against her, that maybe her life might not come out to be that significant. But one of the things that I pray you guys would all know, and, and I think that like the more you receive it, the more you believe it, the more it becomes a reality in your life. Did you guys know that God can use any person that he wants to, that makes himself available? You know, you might not have a lot of money, you might not have a dad, you might not uh, you know, have all the education or the IQ or whatever it is you know, that you might look at. I mean, I don't know. You might look at yourself and think, well, I just don't have what it takes to really be used by God in a significant way. But, you know, that's a lie from the enemy, man. You know why? Because you have God. You know, we have the grace of God. We have the blood of Jesus Christ. We have the Lord. And my prayer is that every single person would understand that because, you know, God wants to use you to help others. God wants to use you to make a difference. I mean, if you, just think about it. If you just said, here am I, Lord, send me, use my life. I, I surrender to you completely. Not my will, but thy will be done. When that really becomes your heart, then, man, uh, the sky is the limit. I mean, God can do anything through that type of surrendered saint. And so Esther is an example of that, just in case you're thinking God can't use a girl. Yes, he can, absolutely. And you guys know I always tell you girls are better than boys. I mean, in this case, uh, we see it significantly. And although you might not be the queen, uh, I mean, I don't know. God has roles for us to play that in the end, in this case, they end up saving Israel. And so God uses Esther. We're going to see that today. Warren Wiersbe said what Esther did ranks among the great deeds of faith in Scripture. And so we start off in Esther chapter 5, and verse 1. It says, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house, well, the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. And I, I don't know, this is very royal, isn't it? I mean, it's very, I mean, just it's the king, it's the palace, it's majestic, it's this amazing, right? And, and so it was, it says, when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand, and then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. And I, I'm going to just give you a little bit of background. Most of you probably know what's going on here, but just in case you don't, a uh, long story short, um, God had elevated Esther to be queen five years ago. You know, and she was obviously very beautiful, uh, um, but one thing that we know is that there was a purpose, and so the years go by, don't really know why, you know, until the day comes finally where this guy Haman, he comes up with a plan because he doesn't like the way Mordecai, that Jew, is not bowing down to him, and so he comes up with a plan to destroy all the Jews, to kill them all, to destroy the, the godly lineage through which Jesus Christ would come to ruin everything. It was the work of the devil, right? 
And so, um, you know, Mordecai finds out, and what he does is he starts fasting and puts sackcloth, ashes, the Jews start uh, praying, even though the Bible doesn't say that, that's exactly what they're doing. Esther finds out, and long story short, they're going back and forth, and Mordecai says, that's why you're queen. For such a time as this, God wants you to go into the presence of the king and stand in the gap for us, because if you don't, then, man, this is, a, this is God's plan for you. You know, God's going to bring up, you know, salvation from some other way, but who knows, he says to Esther, maybe that's the whole reason that you're queen, you know, and so, but Esther says, but, you know, the thing is, is that everybody knows the law that if you're not invited into the presence of the king, and, and you know, then what you're doing is basically you're laying your life on the line that he has the, the right to kill you, to execute you. That's against the law. You're not supposed to do that. And so I would be violating the law because I haven't been invited. I'm just kind of like rushing into his presence. And, and so unless he shows me grace by, you know, extending the royal scepter towards me, she said, I'm going to die. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you know, your life is like on the line, you know, and I mean, I've done some scary rides at Magic Mountain, and I've thought about that a couple of times, and, you know, Free Fall, whatever, Knott's Berry Farm, and man, you know, I remember one time I was up at Free Fall at Knott's Berry Farm, and I was thoroughly convinced that I wasn't buckled in right, you know, because the gal, you know how you buckle into the rides, right? So she comes and she checks all your belts. Well, she didn't check mine. She just walked by, and I'm like, hey, you didn't check my belt, right? <laughs> Next thing you know, we're up sky high, and I'm just thinking it's not connected right. I'm, you know, I'm going to die. And you kind of like, I kind of like had that feeling. I mean, and then that's nothing compared to probably how Esther was feeling, you know. As now she's going in now, and she knows that unless he holds that royal scepter towards me, I am about to die. But I have to risk it. I have to risk it because I, 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 I want to help my people. And so she goes in and she lays her life on the line. And by the grace of God, notice again what it says right there in verse two, that she found favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. How did she find favor? It was God, right? It was God honoring her step of faith you know, they had been fasting. It says back in chapter 4, verse 16, they didn't drink, they didn't eat for three days. And so, you know, that's an absolute fast. And so they're praying. Now we read in verse 1 that it was on the third day they go in. And, you know, that's cool, praying, fasting. But that's not enough. You know, I pray that you guys would come to a place in your life where you have a healthy prayer life. But eventually, you got to take steps of faith. And that's what she did, right? And as she goes and she takes that step of faith, she finds favor. How did she find favor? Well, it was the Lord. It was totally the Lord. You know, just like we read throughout the Bible in those significant times, for example, Joseph in Genesis 39 verse 4, the Bible says Joseph found favor 
in his sight and, and served him. And if you remember, that was the whole story again of Joseph being elevated to the second highest position in the whole wide world. How can you be elevated to that place, exalted in Psalm 75, 6, and 7, where it talks about God raising someone up and putting them in that place where he would use their life? How can that happen to you or me or any of us? How can those types of doors ever be open? We're praying, we're fasting, we're taking steps of faith, and you watch, you will find favor, and God will give you favor. In this case, it was Joseph with his master, like Ruth, the same thing in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10, when she was in Boaz's fields, it says she, she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? Again, you know, God finding someone that he would use, granting Joseph favor, granting Ruth favor, Nehemiah, same thing in Nehemiah 2, verse 5. He said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. You know, and, and what will happen, you guys, is as you believe God, you have a heart for the lost. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw today the national prayer event that they had in Washington. I encourage you, if you get a chance, go home and look it up online. It was amazing. The, the message was a blessing that the chaplain gave. But you know, I, I think God's stirring something up. And what we find, you guys, is that when God gives favor, you're praying, you're fasting. You're not just sitting, though. You're willing to take a step of obedient faith. And then God grants you favor. God opens the door What's going to happen, and I know, not to sound weird or anything, but in one sense, he'll give you favor because he kind of has a favor to ask of you. <laughs> you know, I want to use your life. Are you, are you okay with that? Well, not right now, Lord. I got to go to the mall, you know, but, uh, you know, there's a really good movie coming out this Friday or whatever. Sundays, you know, um, everybody in summertime, they're at the beach. I mean, you know, Lord, you know how it is. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. To me, I was thinking about like, so many things. I'm thinking about, you know, how the homeless people need to be fed and housed and helped. And I was thinking about how some of the girls working on Garvey or the, you know, the, just the, the exploitation. The other day, I was just kind of like, it just hit me like a, ton of bricks my wife was talking about how this girl walking down the street and it just seemed dangerous and she said you know I don't like to see that because a lot of times those girls will get kidnapped and then they'll be then you know turned into a, a sex slave even in this country that we live in and so for some reason when she told me that it just hit me hard and I thought to myself Lord how can I make a difference how can we help them maybe that'll be something that that God will stir up in your heart how are you really making a difference? What ministry is God calling you to? You'll find favor because God has the kind of a favor to ask. God has a calling for your life. Don't just live your life for yourself. Don't just, oh, you know, the saying is, he who dies with the most toys wins or has the best time. No, it's not about, you know, finding the path of least resistance. It's not about, you know, me living in my cozy comfort zone. It's about you and me finding out what God wants for our life and then just go for it with a reckless abandon. 
in, in one sense, that's what it's like. You know, I believe that when you follow the Lord and you're doing what he's called you to do, that you will find the most satisfaction because that's what you were made to do. But, you know, it's not an easy road. You know, God gave them favor. And as a result of that, you know, you know Nehemiah is a, a wall builder and Joseph becomes an administrator in Egypt and, uh, and Ruth became a mom whose lineage was that of David, that of Jesus. God will give you favor, and he has something, therefore, for you to fulfill. And so she goes to the king, and uh, it's cool. The king extends the scepter, and he says, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. And you're like, Well, that sounds cool. I'll take a couple of million dollars, you know? But it's here we move. Point number one is God's favor. Point number two is, is man's wisdom. And, and I would even probably say instead of that, God's wisdom. Because look again in verse four. And so Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for them. And then the king said, bring Haman quickly, that he may do as Esther has said. And so the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, okay, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. And then Esther answered and said, my petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request... Then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So they're praying, take a step of faith, they find God's favor. Uh, They're praying, seeking the Lord's will and I think Esther here found God's wisdom. You know, Esther, you know, she used wisdom. I mean, not only did she fast and others to do so, but from a spiritual standpoint, she strategized. And by that I mean, ultimately, she listened to the Lord. You guys remember when Solomon asked for wisdom? Literally, in the Hebrew language, it means that he asked for a hearing heart. God, these are your people. You love them. Who can rule them adequately? There's no man that could rule and lead and love God's people adequately on his own you know, smarts, and so I ask for wisdom, and what that really means is God speak to me and give me a hearing heart so that I can lead them. And that's beautiful for every father, every mother, every leader, that you would ask God to speak to you. And I think that's what happened with Esther. She didn't rush in and, and, and spill all the details and the drama in front of everybody. She was smarter than that. She had enough sense to know that this wasn't the right place or time. And so what does she do? She invites the king and Haman to a banquet. You know, they say the way to a man's heart is what? Through his stomach, right? Chorizo con papas, man, I'll make it. I'll hook you up, right? (laughs) And so, I don't know. Um, No, I don't know. This is kind of funny. You know, she invites him uh, to to the banquet and what's going on is she's been praying. God's been giving to her what I call divine details. God will give you them, right? I'm not going to say it here. I'm going to say it later. I'm going to make a banquet for you. Probably knowing what the king likes to eat. I mean, I'll bet you. I mean, stuff like that, right? You know, for us, 
we need to take note on that. You know, you want to, you know, you, whatever it is that, that you're, you're, you're just shooting for the glory of God, you want that ministry to be successful, you want your kids to serve the Lord, whatever it is. Don't, don't just do it uh, with your own ideas. Ask God what he would have you to do. For all you know, it might be something completely outside of the box that you've put God in. He'll show you the, the details. In this case, it was, a, it was a banquet that Esther invited them to, but not just uh, the king. It was interesting that she would invite Haman. So she invites Haman, and she invites the king. They go to the banquet, and then the king says, okay, what do you want? You know? And then she says, well, this is what I want if it pleases the king. Can we do this again tomorrow? You know, and you're like, what's up with that, right? But it's wisdom, and we need it. What does the Bible say? Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. All the people out there, yourself included, you're a sheep in the midst of wolves. We are, we are in this, this war, in this battle, right? And so what does the Lord say to them? He says, I want you to be wise. I want you to be as wise as as a serpent, harmless as a dove. And so, you know, they have this whole thing. We're going to talk more about Esther's wisdom later, but, but at this point, we kind of go down and look at this guy, Haman. Again, God's favor, God's wisdom, those are things that we want in our life. One thing you want to avoid, however, is man's pride. That's point number three. Look at verse nine. And so Haman went out that day, joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow I'm again invited by her along with the king. Yet, all this avails me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made fifty cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go, notice, merrily with the king in the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman. That sounds like a good idea. And so he had the gallows made. You know, Mordecai wouldn't bow down and now he doesn't even stand up. He's like, man, that guy's a fool. I know who he is. He's the enemy, right? And so when Haman would come out after all this is going on, he was, it says in verse 9, I mean, he was just filled with indignation against Mordecai. What, what is that? It's pride. Oh, they won't bow down. Oh, they won't acknowledge me. Don't, don't they know who I am? You know, I mean, that, that's nothing but pride. And for us, you guys, it's something that we all struggle with, okay? If you're here today and you say, I don't struggle with pride, you're a liar, okay? And I know some of you, 
I would say the older ladies probably a little bit less, but I think for, for most of us here, especially guys, you know, we struggle with this. But, but humility is so important for us. Nothing sets us as much out of the devil's reach as humility. But pride is always there, you know, your wife says something and she disrespects you or your kids or whatever, your dog doesn't do what you tell it to do and you get all upset. I mean, you name it. I mean, you know, so many times I find myself, it all goes back to that sin, that sin, that sin, that sin, that sin. All sin is rooted in pride. That's what they say. Uh, many theologians are of the conviction that pride is the very essence of sin. William Barclay said, pride is the ground in which all of the sins grow and the parent from which all other sins are born. Let's get this straight. What do we deserve? Hell. That's what we deserve. None of us here deserves anything else, but thank God we found grace in the blood of Jesus Christ. But a lot of times, you know, we, we kind of think that we're something when we're nothing. We deserve something great when we really don't. And so when, what ends up happening is pride starts finding a home in our heart and all the other sins, they're rooted in that. Some of the sins that are mentioned here, or at least we see here in the life of Mordecai, number one, homeboy, he was poisoned with bitterness. He was poisoned with bitterness, right? I mean, here's all these great things that are going on in his life, right? I mean, he's got everything a man could, could ask for, I mean, he's got position, he's got money, he's got children, he's hanging out with the king and queen, they're probably eating good food, all that kind of stuff. He's got health. But this one guy right here finds a place in his heart and what ends up happening is he's poisoned with it, right? I mean, it just permeates his whole body. Secondly, he's struck with blindness. You know, that'll happen to you. You'll be poisoned with bitterness and it'll be this root that gets you or you'll be struck with blindness. In this case, the others were bowing down. But all he could see, all Haman could see, was Mordecai, and he couldn't see past him. It was like, it was like Mordecai was right here in his face. He couldn't see anything else. And sometimes that's what happens in our life. Your problem or that problem person, you are blind because you can't see past that problem or that problem person. And what you got to do is you got you to get your eyes off the, them. They're destroying you. That's what's going on with Haman. He was, you know, poisoned with bitterness. He was struck with blindness. And then he was guided by foolishness, right? It was all a setup. You know, the, the advice they gave to him in, in verse 14, you know, all this, like, it avails me nothing because I still see, you know, Mordecai there. What should have his family told him? You should have snapped, slapped him, right? Snap out of it. What's wrong with you, fool? You got so much going for you, right? Why are you focused on that guy? But what did they say? They said, hey, you should make a, a, some gallows for him. 75 feet high. That's 50 cubits. 75 feet high. So we're not sure. Some people say it was just this big thing where they would hang him. But most people believe that it would be some elevated spot, 75 feet high, where they would have a stake and they would impale him because that's what the Persians did. And so 
think about this crazy. They, oh, make a gallow, and you know, and what you can do is, and you know, you can kill him, and you can impale him or hang him, and then you can go merrily on your way, right? And that'll happen, you guys. Um, guard yourself from the pride, because otherwise you're going to be poisoned with bitterness, struck with blindness, and guided by foolishness. And so we learn about God's favor, God's wisdom, man's pride. And then we learn about God's timing. Number four is God's timing. That night, it says in chapter 6, verse 1, the king could not sleep. And so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bithana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And then the king said, well, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. So the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, well, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, well, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Think he had some pride? <laughs> I'm, I'm God's gift to the church. You are, huh? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square, and shout and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, uh, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. And so Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. You know, I keep mentioning the fact that God is not, he's not mentioned in the book of Esther. But we see his fingerprints everywhere. His sovereignty, his providence you know, and not just the big things, you know, generally speaking. It's also those little things that you would have never known. This is, uh, I think, when Esther was trying to, you know, go through this whole thing, I think ultimately this is why she asked for another day. Maybe she herself didn't even know why. All she knew in her heart as she was listening to the Lord is, you know what, let's do this again tomorrow, another day. Why? Because this day would change everything. There was one more day that was necessary. That night, when the king went to sleep, he, he couldn't sleep, right? That's what we read here in this chapter. And it was all part of God's perfect timing. 
You know, one of the things I want to encourage you guys in is just to surrender to that, you know. Uh, we are consumed with time. Lord, it's been two years, you know. And Lord, I'm, I'm 19 years old and I'm still not married, you know. And it's like, I don't know, you know, whatever, you know. Moses waiting 40 years. David, you know, some say 20 years. Uh, we don't know for sure. Um, Joseph, 13 years. You know, a lot of times we, we think that God's time is wrong. We, we think of time, but God doesn't think of time. He thinks of timing. Let's just say there is a husband or, 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 or a, a wife out, you, out there for you, you know, and, and but they're being prepared. So that way when you get married, they're ready, you're ready, and you guys come together and the marriage is beautiful. But if you try to hurry it, if you try to say, well, no, I want to get married now because, you know, I, uh, uh, whatever your reasons are, and they're not ready or you're not ready, then you end up, the marriage ends up, it doesn't survive. See, it's not just time, it's timing, right? Everything has to be at that perfect time. And the same thing here. It just so happens that that night the king can't sleep. And so what do you guys do when you can't sleep? You eat. That's what you normally do, right? No, I'm just joking. You know, as a king, I mean, he could have called for a concubine. That's what most people say he probably would have done typically. Or he could have called for a musician. But it just so happens that, what does he do? He chooses to read. More than likely, he thought, if I read, then I'll be able to go back to sleep, right? But what do you read? You know, and, and so how about that book from five years ago on that chapter there on page 27? You know, and then he happens to read about this assassination plot that was unveiled by Mordecai. And so as he's listening to this whole thing, he's like, hey, was that guy ever rewarded? I mean, what are the odds of that happening on that day? I mean, it's, it's totally the Lord. It should overwhelm us how detailed God is in our life. You guys know that, right? Every hair you have, every tear you've cried, everything that's going on, man, it's all under his sovereignty. It's hard to understand knowing that we are free to act as we choose, but it's at the same time, simultaneously true that God is sovereign over everything. And that, that sleepless night this king has you know, it's, it's God stirring us up, right? I mean, here we see God using a book and a specific chapter in the book to change everything. I read a, a couple of stories about significant uh, stories just like that. Back in February 1916, there was a British student who he, he bought a book at a used uh, bookstore Apparently, he had gone to that bookstore frequently, and, uh, and, he, and he would see it, was kind of called to it, but rejected it, at least he said a dozen times. But one day, he purchased that book. It was a book by George MacDonald, and, and he read the book, and he was brought to Christ. That man was none other than C.S. Lewis, who eventually became one of the greatest apologists in the church all by that book that he read. I was reading another story of another young man in North Africa who lived a life of sexual pleasures and then after that trying to fill it with lust and drinking and then philosophy, but he only became more miserable. And so the story goes that one day he heard a little child 
playing a game and saying, take it and read, take it and read. And he heard that voice, take it and read. And so he picks up the book. It's the Bible right next to him. He opens up to Romans 13, verse 13 and 14, where the Bible says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and in drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. That verse was exactly what he needed to hear and he became saved and that man is none other than Augustine. Another great Christian saint. All I'm trying to say is that God, you know, he's so sovereign. You know, that's the very books, the very chapters. And I know, I don't, I encourage you guys to read your whole Bible, but every once in a while it's okay to play Bible bingo. You know, Lord, speak to me. You know, I want to encourage you guys to be open to the voice of the Holy Spirit and watch the sovereignty of God work in your life. I mean, he goes through this whole thing, finds out they've never rewarded him. It's been five years. Now, the interesting thing, in the Persian culture, rewards and punishments were, were basic to their system of maintaining loyalty. And it was very unusual for such a service not to be immediately rewarded, right? And so why was Mordecai's good deed forgotten? I mean, he does this good deed, he doesn't get rewarded, but that's the way they normally act. Why did that happen? You know, was it because the, the clerk, uh, junior clerk, you know, made a mistake or was there an office memo that got lost? You know, um, no, it was the Lord, right? The Lord says, hold on a second. Five years later, it built up to this great reward, Right? And so as the king discovers what's going on, he says, man, we've got to reward this guy. I kind of don't know what to do. He hears some footsteps out in the courtyard. He's like, who's out there? Oh, it's Haman. Haman, come in here. And he's thinking, wow, this is so cool. You know, now I'm even invited into the king's chambers, right? Not just the palace. And so what ends up happening is uh, as he's there, he says, what should we do to reward someone? And he's thinking, Haman is thinking, hey, this is for me, Right. He was convinced that he was the man that would be rewarded. And uh, it's interesting how then Haman, you know, gives the answer of what should be rewarded, how he should be rewarded. Verse 8, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. And, and what is he saying? In essence, and a lot of theologians, teachers believe that he's saying, I want to be the king. I want to be the king. That's the, that's the king's robe, let, let me wear it. That's the king's horse, let me ride it. That's the king's emblem, let me have it. It's the, it's the condition of the heart, right? We got to be so careful with stuff like that. Even later in Genesis 41-43, after Joseph went through everything he went through, the, the, the Pharaoh said, let him ride in the second chariot. That makes more sense. Not in Pharaoh's chariot, but Haman is thinking it's going to be him, and so he wants to wear and ride what the king rides. You know, little does he know that this would be intended for Mordecai. And so, man, imagine his uh, shock when he finds out, well, I want you to do this for Mordecai. Imagine that. I mean, just crazy. We're going to see later... You guys know that God has a sense of humor? You guys know that? It's amazing. He's really funny in this one. 
but scary at the same time. And so um, after Haman goes and he just takes him through all the, the major streets of the, of the city, and we read in verse 12, afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered. But when Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. And real quick, I just want to mention in passing, a lot of people believe that what this is right here is a warning. It's a warning. You're fighting God. You're kicking against the goads. You're going to lose. And why didn't Mordecai get it at that point? It was obvious, right? But unfortunately, right there and then, verse 13, he should have repented, man, right there and then. But, and you got to do it quick, because look what happens next in verse 14. And while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. And so the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom it shall be done. And then Queen Esther answered and said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy can never compensate for the king's loss. So King Hasserus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was shaken in his boots. He was terrified before the king and queen. And then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. And when the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. And then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? And as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which he, Haman, made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. And then the king said, Hang him on it. And so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's wrath subsided. If you're taking notes, first of all, just little things that we learn along the way, not, not that it all you know, necessarily ties together as much, but just things like God's favor, number one, God's wisdom, number two, man's pride, number three, God's timing, number four, God's warning, number five, and then the last two, because there has to be seven, right? Because we're Christians, right? Is man's sin, but God's justice. You guys, you know, if you're hiding your sin, if you're thinking you can hide your sin, 
I, I just pray you would know that you can't, you cannot hide your sin. You know, when we look at this, Haman's sins, they all came to the light and all that was in his heart, the pride, the hatred, the murder of innocent lives. What does the Bible say? Numbers 32, 23. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. If you're here today, and I just pray that the Holy Spirit would be like working in our lives. Anything that's not right in God's sight and he's telling you, hey, get that squared away, repent today, get right or it might be too late. You know, you can't hide it. You can hide it from me. You can hide it from whoever it is that you've been hiding it for forever, but you can't hide it from God. What does the Bible say? Hebrews 4.13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You know, we got to be careful. Our sin, my prayer is that we would have clean hands and clean hearts and that we would be you know, a people whose hearts have been searched and, uh, you know, we're not messing around. We're not playing games, you know, because, well, God hasn't got us yet. You know, that, that's presuming on God's grace. I, well, I'm a Christian. Well, you know, praise God for that. You know, there is a difference when you are a Christian. But in looking at this, what we find is that, man, if you're not living for the Lord, then, you know, you're going to regret one day when you stand before him at the Bema seat. And so, you know, prayerfully, we learn from Haman's sins, but then it's so cool to see at the end how, how justice prevails. You guys know that, right? You guys know that one day justice will prevail. Every wrong will be made right, and every man will stand before the king of kings, and the truth will be revealed. You know, for Mordecai, uh, and looking at this, what we find is that God was working in his life in a, such an awesome way, using him, using Esther, and what we find in order to defeat the strategies of Haman. And of course, we see the irony and the fact that, you know, Haman was hung on the gallows that were intended to hang Mordecai. Did you guys know that God has a way of uh, kind of doing stuff like this, flexing his muscles, showing his glory? and bring justice for all. Um, remember the story, or you guys remember in Genesis 27, some of you guys do, where he killed an animal and he lied to his father pretending to be Esau? Well, eventually, years later, Jacob's sons killed an animal, lied to him, and pretended that Joseph was, was dead. If you guys remember the story when Pharaoh commanded the, the Jewish baby boys to be drowned in the sea? Well, what happened one day to Pharaoh's army? They were drowned in the sea, huh? I mean, David, you know, committed adultery. It came right back at him. One day his son did the same thing against him. David committed murder. What happened? Same thing, right back at him. And, and what we find in the end, you guys, Proverbs 11.8 is so true. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. That was the testimony of Haman. You know, one last thing I got to share with you guys. I know we're running out of time here, but, you know, when you look at this story here, a lot of people also believe in the fact that not only is this a testimony individually of what God can do in lives, but also nationally, what God has done with Israel. 
And every nation that would ever try to destroy Israel, you guys know that God's going to protect them, huh? And for us individually, what is it that protects us? Who hung on the tree to die for us? See, justice prevails. You know, thank God for his grace in our life. As you give your life to Christ, as you place your faith in him, as you trust in him as your Lord and Savior, seriously, wholeheartedly, not just a religion, but a relationship. That, 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 that the Bible says that Jesus hung on a cross, Galatians 3.13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And in looking at all this, you know, um, how much of a difference is there, you know, from, you know, that sinner over there and you? I bet you there's some of you here that probably would have been like a Haman. You want to be king? Bet you, huh? Some of you here, right? Be honest. Struggling with bitterness, struggling with anger, struggling with hatred, which really is murder. Struggling with foolishness, I mean, you name it. But isn't it so cool to know that because of the fact that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that you're forgiven? I pray we would know that, you guys. And as we celebrate that, that we would not only, you know, have that, that righteousness imparted or imputed to us, but that we would come to that place as we read the word and we're challenged by this whole story to have that righteousness imparted to us, that we would be, you know, not only just believers, but behaviors because we worship him for what he's done for us, guys. And so let's learn a lot of lessons tonight, prayerfully, man. We have come to that place where we have surrendered to his love.